this episode, I was blessed to have a conversation with one of my two best friends, right? One of the, one of the trio. Uh, and we talked about living abroad. He lives in Africa, uh, running a business abroad. He has a business in Africa with some partners uh, that does business in America and Africa. We talked about living in different countries, how that uh, uh, is a competitive advantage um, and just all around maybe better lifestyle. Uh, this was a special treat though, because you guys get a, get an insight into uh, young Phil. We talk about some old stories, especially how he used to beat him up on basketball. y'all hey today's episode is a special treat um so uh, if 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 most of y'all are like me you really don't keep in touch with a whole lot of folks pre-college because you grew a lot you evolved a lot um you know you shed some unhealthy relationships and you picked up some healthy relationships or or vice versa, and you need to go ahead and shed some bad relationships. But I'm blessed because, you know, early on, um, sophomore year, you know, I, I'm, I, met a, I met a guy playing basketball. I beat him up a couple times on his court, you know, <laughs> one-on-one. I owned his court for the whole time, and he ended up becoming my best friend, and we still uh, keep in contact for, for this long. So I, I get a chance to interview him, Anthony Ebo. Uh, C C O O C F O co-founder of Contour Functional Arts. Hey, thanks for coming on, man. No, thanks for having me, Phil. It's amazing. It's great. I've been a fan of the podcast for a while, so it's a pleasure to be on. And almost the the hundredth episode, so that's that's great. Yeah, I know, man. It it just kinda <laughs> it is almost a hundred, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Man, as I, as I was saying in the intro, I was like, man, we old now, man, because, like, we met at, like, <laughs> how, four, 14, 15? Yeah, 14, I think that's like, so. That's, like, 20 years. That's, like, more than half my life. That now, is now, we got like, now we got, like, wives and kids. We used to have, like, no responsibilities, just hooped all day. We, we, like, what, work out for two hours a day, <laughs> you know, hoop for two yeah. hours play video games and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Man, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how did we ever get any work done, man? We worked out a lot. Uh, we had jobs, you know. I know. At some point, girlfriend. Well, that, that was, was like foundation, man. I mean, pushing carts, you at Walmart, me at uh, Kroger, and, you know, just working. I think that helped with our work ethic that we have today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um well, uh, but but reason reason why I wanted to have you on, as you, as you know, is um, you know late, lately there's been a a huge resurgence of our people embracing our culture, and I just love that man. And I'm I'm gonna do a side note, man. The crazy part to me is like my my son's you know top five superheroes, you know two of the top five are. Miles Morales, Black Spider-Man, and uh, Black Panther, like, 
Bubba watches Black Panther every day. And we didn't have that growing up, man. So I just, I just love the fact of us, um, you know, celebrating our culture. Um, and, and you're doing something that, like, I think I for sure want to do. Like, you're doing business in Africa. Uh, now, you know, for, for, for those who, who know Ebo, Ebo is a Nigerian Ebo last name. Um, uh, so, so I, I know for you, it's probably something that, that you thought about doing or was not even a big deal. But for me, like it's, a, I, I really want to do business in Africa and you're doing it. So I wanted to kind of get into that. But, but before we go there, let's talk about like your, your journey to business because I don't, I, and, and I'm just curious about this cause you, like you were not a business guy, like growing up, like, I don't, I don't, you said at some point became an entrepreneur and it probably was relatively recently, right? Go talk, talk through that journey. Um, okay. So, um, man, where do I start? Okay. So I'll just give a little bit of a background on my educational, uh, background. Um, I started undergrad at the Louisiana state university, go Tigers. Um, and initially I was a computer science major, but by sophomore year, I transitioned to kinesiology, um, heading more towards, I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. So heading towards the healthcare field. Um, and then from there, got accepted to graduate school, not for physical therapy, but for occupational therapy, which was a God uh, sent, um, because that was, that's more who I am and that profession fits me perfectly. So I got my master's in Florida at, uh, Nova Southeastern University, um, started working a few years and I think I always had that entrepreneurial spirit in me, but I, when I started working in the Houston Medical Center, I started trying to understand more uh, the business of healthcare because I saw that as therapists, as nurses, as doctors, that we were, um, we weren't compensated, I didn't feel um, enough for what we brought to the hospitals. And in a sense, they made us feel like we should just be thankful that we had a position um, in these hospitals. And I just kept wondering, I'm like, but where the, in a sense, if I think of it in athletics, where the talent, you're just managing the talent. We're the one bringing all the money into the hospital systems by seeing the patients and the clients for you. Um, so from there, um, I started actually thinking at that time of getting, trying to go, go back to school for an MBA or something business related. But then I spoke to one of my uh, former professors and she talked me into um, getting a clinical doctorate in occupational therapy. And she said, you know, if you do go this way, you'll be a leader in the field and you'll be able to, you know, have, you know, be a leader in, 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 the, in different aspects of occupational therapy um, and in healthcare. And I like that idea because um, I moved to the U.S. when I was eight years old and my dad was into business. Um, and so I was around it my whole life. My mom even as well was an entrepreneur and smaller things. She used to sell Avon. And then when we lived in Nigeria, she was involved in, you know, buying um, wholesale and selling to women in the area and things like that. So I've been around it my whole life. Um, but when uh, that stage came and I, I started, to, I decided um, to start a company called Flux Rehabilitation Consultants, uh, where I would, um, I would contract myself out to facilities uh, in the area. And that's kind of how everything started. So while I was doing the doctorate, I also started Flux Rehab Consultants and started contracting myself out because um, I figured 
why have a middleman? You know, why not go directly to the institutions themselves? And then from there, that kind of uh, kept going. I had the opportunity in 2016 to move with my family back to Africa. So we moved back to, um, to Malawi. Um, and while here, I've just been looking at different opportunities um, to, to grow and to, to see how I could give back. Um, because I think I tell you this a lot, Phil, um, but what I see in Africa is that it's almost like the Wild West. It's an open frontier. And any ideas you have from the U.S., the U.S. is such a saturated market um, that it would be more difficult for you to develop your ideas there. But if you bring it here, um, it's the sky's the limit, you know, because anything you want to do seems like, especially the government as in Malawi that I've seen, they embrace it. They welcome innovation and they welcome anything that's going to help employ their citizens and empower them. So that's kind of how that came about. Um, the way I got involved with Contour is uh, one of my close friends from college, um, Jamar, who's a landscape architect by training as well as an artist, uh, you know, was telling me about the idea that he had of creating functional art that you can use. And I said, okay, well, that's interesting um, because for me, I've moved around a lot and I'm really interested and I like collecting art and furniture and things like that in different places I live. And so this kind of brought those two things together. Actually, three things. I'll say entrepreneurship as well. Um, and when he came to visit Malawi, he said, hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. And it seems like the artisans in Malawi are very talented. You know, what do you think about us bringing their work and showcasing their work in the U.S.? while trying to empower them, improving their skill set, improving their um, improving their infrastructure and and just bettering them so that way um, they can grow themselves, their family, and ultimately employ more Africans as well. Sorry, I know that was kind of long, but that's how we got <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that, that, that's powerful, man. That's 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 that is the ultimate give back. What so what so it's the business is based in Houston, Texas. Um, yes. but, but you, you, you contract and, and get work from, from local people in, in, in Malawi. So yes. as far as financing, you really don't have to worry about, um, getting financing in Malawi. So maybe, maybe you can answer the question. Maybe you can't, right. Cause I know okay. one of the things, you know, as a, as an investor and a business guy, whenever you go into the wild, wild west, financing become, becomes an issue. Do, do you find, uh, have y'all run into that? I guess you don't have to, but when you um we well we we talked about that a lot because initially because there's three partners uh it's myself jamar and then bj's our third partner um so he's amazing with marketing and he deals with the logistics of everything in the u.s jamar is more the designer um and the artist and also he's the the ceo and i'm the man on the ground in africa um well, so what we do is we have artisans that we've we've kind of auditioned different artisans here but we've found um a handful that we we work with um and we in a sense subcontract with them um so we pay them fair wages we we provide equipment materials everything and have these um pieces made here um and the idea is that as the business grows that we grow with them. So quarterly 
um, we'll be giving them bonuses and helping them build, um, improve their infrastructure. I'll give you a concrete example. Um, one of the guys we've been working with, Festin, for the last seven, eight months we've been working with him. Um, he just told us about a month ago that with the money we've invested in his business, he's been able to now build a four-room um, um, building right in front of his property that now he's fully rented out. So I think one of the stalls is a barbershop. One is like a little convenience store and the other two, I'm not sure exactly, but now he's getting rental income from that um, mm. monthly. And with that money as well, now he's been able to hook up electricity to his building, which in turn is giving electricity to rooms that he's renting. And so he's growing and now he can use um, uh, equipment that requires electricity. So that makes his products even better, which increases his price point. And when he sells it, whether he's selling it to the local market or to expats in Malawi, um, he's able to get more money that way as well. So that's just a small example from one of the guys we work with. Got it. Yeah, that's actually pretty dope. And and I and I guess it 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 you don't you don't you can you can invest in the business and 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 into Malawi from America, you know, um, and and not have to need the local banks and all that to grow the business. Yes. And sorry, I, I, maybe I didn't answer, but we've been self financed, and something we were discussing is: do we get you know a line of credit? Do we get a credit card in the U.S. But luckily for us, um, the cost of labor in, in Africa is cheaper, you know, obviously. It's similar to, you know, if you were employing people in China, it's just the cost is cheaper. So we've been, you know, it's been a bit tight at times, but we've been trying to uh, self-finance in order to avoid having to borrow money from banks. And, and so we're, you know, we don't owe anyone money. And that's, that's a great place to be to start a business. Yeah, no, I like it. And, and, as, and as you were saying it, I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's actually how a lot of uh, emerging economies grow. You know, wealthier nations will, um, you know, buy goods, services and products, i.e. through cheaper labor through them. And then kind of they build, um, they build their, their economy through that. And then the financial system, you know, comes through. So as you were saying, it, I was like, oh yeah, that is actually how it, how it happens and, 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 you know, that's how the U S got built. Um, that's how China uh, got built India. Um, so no, that's, that, 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 that's pretty dope. And so let's, let's go into like what, what contour functional art sells. Cause I think for those, and we'll link up, um, the, 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 the site to the podcast notes because the stuff y'all make is like beautiful, man. It's really nice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so what do we sell? We basically at the bottom of everything is, um, we want functionality in our art, um, in our products. So we look at it that our, our canvas, as we say, is exotic wood. So we use woods that are indigenous to this part of Africa. And, and as I said, eventually throughout Africa, um, and we work with it. We like um, what they call live edge wood. So the wood that kind of retains its natural curvature or its natural contour. Um, and we work with that. And, and what we, we really push is functionality. We push legacy items um, because, I mean, most of the items we buy in America, whether it's in Ikea, whether it's in, um, let me think of some other stores. 
while most furniture we buy there is either made in China or it's made of faux wood, it's fake wood. Um, they just put wood veneer on top of this compacted fake wood and then sell it to us there. So all our pieces are hardwood, it's authentic, and it's from the source, um, which is Africa. And so that's uh, what's unique about ours. And, and something that I think is unique to our company is that we are really big on empowerment and giving back and um, minimizing our footprint. So for every item we sell, we donate money to an organization we've partnered with here in Malawi called Root to Fruit. And what they do is they, um, we donate money and they plant um, trees here in Malawi. Um, they plant fruit trees, they plant uh, certain trees um, that the uh, local people use for firewood. So they're fast growing trees. So they cut the branches and they use them um, to cook. They use it to light their homes um, and those type of things. And then I said fruit trees, planting, and then other trees that help um, the soil around it to help everything grow that's around. So wherever it's planted, maybe within 10 feet radius of that tree, um, it helps the plants around it grow. So mm -hmm. they, they do a really great job at um, targeting specific areas that, that need um, trees and to combat uh, deforestation. And so that was huge for us. And you know, initially we were like, okay, well, it sounds like an interesting organization. Let's go out and look at it. So it's about a five hour drive from the capital city, Lilongwe. Um, but we, we drove there and we, we were blown away. I mean, the work they do there is amazing. Um, and they also provide a GPS locator for the trees that, that they plant um, on, our, on your behalf. So when someone buys from us, we donate money directly to um, Root to Fruit. And they'll send us all the information about the trees, and we'll send that to our uh, buyers as well. How do you how do you make sure you don't you know you're you're selling a product, you're selling wood, um, but I I know you 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 care about the environment personally. So what are y'all doing yes. to make sure that y'all don't um, you know like just destroy the that everything's sustainable. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a huge part of what we we you know we made the decision that you know if the trees are illegally um, cut down or the wood is illegally gotten, then we won't use it. Um, so all of the artisans we work with, that's explicitly stated to them um, from the onset that, you know, it's very important to us um, that these trees are either retrieved because they're fallen um, or depending on the community, some communities, um, maybe when they're building something, they'll, need to cut down the tree obviously to build something that they need so the guys we work with receive phone calls when these things occur um and then i've physically gone out to about five um, sites and i'll go see the trees and make sure that you know what they're telling me that they tell me it's either fallen or it was cut or and i'll speak to whoever the village elder is or whoever it's there that's in charge to confirm that as well um so it's important to us and um, moving forward, we're looking at other partnerships and ways of us um, retrieving these items. Because the most difficult thing is that, um, you know, there's no way we can go out and look at every tree that's been cut. And that's um, initially, that's the issue we were running into. But now we're trying to get things in place to ensure that it's done properly.
So the other example is um, the organization Roots of Fruit I was talking about earlier. Um, in the areas where they're based, if they're older trees or trees that fall, they'll call us first. So that's mm -hmm. how we're trying to ensure that um, it's sustainable and that, you know, um, we definitely don't want anyone cutting down trees on our behalf. So um, we're trying to, to mitigate that by partnering with certain organizations and really communicating with our artisans that that's very important to us and our buyers in the U.S. Okay, no, cool. And y'all are moving with the trend because I know, I know my wife, Kelly, she, uh, you know, um, she, they're beginning to, she's beginning to appreciate like real wood. And, and you know, mm, like, we, got a, we got a desk in, um, in one of the rooms that we have that we got from her mom that they had for a while that was real wood, right? Because they're, our parents' generation um, bought older, nice wood. And so we just, yes. I, I got one of her old drawers, sanded it, shirt dressers, sanded it down and did, you know, did some stuff to repaint it up and put it up there. But I think it's I think it's a definite trend, and the fact that it's from the motherland, which you know, yes. which is, you know what we're all caring about, and it's putting money and economic development in the mother country. And I, I mean, it's, yes. it's just like it's just like multiple wins. How how'd y'all decide to come up with the idea for doing that? Well, um, when Jamar came to visit last year, around July of last year, we were discussing, you know. He was looking around and saying, man, this is amazing. I mean, the artisans here, um, the conversation, it came from a conversation. We noticed that the artisans in Malawi and in throughout Africa, I mean, I've been to Kenya, I've been to South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia. The artisans are very talented, but the problem is that they don't, they can't get their work out there um, for the world market. They're very uh, limited to who sees it. Um, and usually it's tourists and tourists aren't interested in paying what it's worth, you know? So when Jamar as an artist started explaining to me like, Hey, you know, this table took about 40 hours of work to make and, you know, and these guys are selling it for, you know, X amount or doing, or this, or even like, um, little trinkets and things like that. He's saying, man, that's, that's made by hand. You know, you have to appreciate that. Um, so it really shone a light on it for me. And then I started asking more questions about the processes involved. Um, and now my appreciation, I mean, is, is tenfold because everything we have is done by hand from, you know, sawing uh, the, 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 the pieces, um, sanding, everything is done by hand because electricity and equipment is not a luxury we have here. Where in the U.S., you know, um, you can readily go to Home Depot and just buy a tool you know malawi was one of the poorest countries in the world um with people living on less than a dollar a day um mm -hmm. a few years ago it's still probably in the bottom 10 in the world so um i mean it, the ingenuity is just amazing that that they can create such beautiful works of art and pieces um you know um with almost nothing so that's kind of where we, we came from so we saw that they had a lot of raw ability, but not a lot of technical ability. So um, that's where we came in to try to teach and try to improve the processes that they're currently using to create uh, pieces. And that's kind of how everything went from there. Um, but it hasn't been the easiest road, but I mean, it's uh, uh, doing, doing business in Africa is definitely different, but, um, but uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It's, it's really, really, um, fulfilling.
Hey, that's part of that's part of being a trailblazer. And I, and I was going to ask about like the logistics. So how does it work? So you make it. How do you get it from Malawi all the way to where Houston, Texas, or wherever? Yeah, Houston is our base. Um, so we uh, use a sea freight. So we send everything. We we try to we finish the products here, um, and then we put it in a container, and then it goes via sea uh, to Houston. And then um, the other partners receive it there. We have a, a warehouse where they take it to, and then um, they kind of put everything together. If there are any finishing touches or if any, there was any damage in transit, they'll, they'll touch it up and then send it off to the customers. Yeah, do, and do y'all like, y'all like got a, I guess it's a, it's a company that have armed guards and so nobody jacks y'all straight. <laughs> 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 well, the the crazy, I mean, I don't think anyone would be interested in, in wood. I mean, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy, most people out of out here are trying to just, you know, manage food, shelter. Um, and so they're not thinking about, I mean, and, and it's, Malawi is a really great place. I mean, the people here, they call it the warm heart of Africa for a reason. The people are very friendly. Um, the people are very spiritual and the people are honest for the, for the most part. So I don't, I, I don't think you know anyone would. Yeah. And, and not, not Malawi. I'm talking about like when you put it on the ship, like, Oh, you know, pirates and people. Jacking no. Shit. Um, well, I think, it, I mean, we have a 20 foot or 40 foot container on a boat with like, I don't know, 2000 containers. Got it. The okay. chances of them messing with ours is slim to none. And then when they open it and they see wood, I mean, like, what is this? It's not gold. It's not, you know, it's nothing. I, I don't think a, a, a pirate would think I'm going to flip <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> this of wood like tomorrow. You know, it's a, it's, it takes time to sell finished uh, furniture. So, um, yeah, I'm not, we're not too worried about that. Yeah. What, 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 and we also send by air as well. Sorry, I forgot to say that. So for certain clients that wanted a rush delivery, we can send it by air at freight as well to them. What, what, what's the biggest challenge of doing business, um, you know, at the moment? That's a good question. And, and, and I think it's um, and specifically yeah. in Africa, right? Just in, in Africa. Yeah. What I'm finding to be very challenging is the fact that people need um, almost daily supervision um, or, you know, just you have to check in with people a lot just to make sure things, and, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, if that's the same case in America, but here every day I'm checking in on the artisans. Hey, is everything okay? How are things going? Um, we run into some challenges, you know, um, where they're waiting on, and because of the culture, people are very polite here. So instead of calling and saying, hey, you know, boss, you know, we're, we're, we need more, you know, let's say paint thinner or we need something, they'll wait till I come there. I might not get there till 10 in the morning, but they've been there since eight. You know, out of politeness and respect for me, they don't want to bother me. But I tell them, no, guys, just feel free. Call me. Let me know because, you know, I can coordinate things before I'm even there at the shop. Um, so that's been one of the challenges is the, is the supervision. Um, also culturally, um, when a family emergency occurs here, 
whether it's a, fa- a death in a family, um, could be a relative or something, or whether it's um, with their child getting sick or someone getting sick, the, the culture is that you go to your boss for an advance, which we, wouldn't, we don't do in the U.S., you know, but, but here, I mean, I'm, you're the boss. You're almost like there. You take care of them, right? So not just as employees, but as an extension of that. Where in America, your boss would tell you, okay, good luck. You know, um, you, know you need a day? Okay, you know, go, good luck. Go figure it out. Here, it's kind of expected that you're going to give something towards whether it's a burial, whether it's a sick child, um, whatever it is, you're, you're expected to give something. So um, it's also, that's also been a, interesting to me because, as I said, I moved to the U.S. at eight, and my culture is Nigerian-American. So I'm familiar with West Africa and the U.S. So being in this part of Africa, which is the Southeast, has been an interesting uh, change. You know, they, the, it, the culture is different. You know, most people assume Africa, our culture is homogenous, homogenous sorry, but um, it's very different country to country, region to region. Yeah, I was so, going to say, because Nigeria is more like capitalistic, right? You know, simil- exactly. not just like America, but similar to, you know, hey, get, you know, individualistic, get your own. Yes. Oh, got it. And, and that sounds more communal, which, which by the way, I think, you know, the world moves and shifts, and I think we're moving back to a, a, a less rugged individualism and more of a communal, not, not socialism, but more, you know, caring about people over profits. You know, you got yes. to make profits, but I think we're swinging, you know, you swing too far one way, and we're kind of correcting to, 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 to value people over profits, which I think you should, yes. should, should be the case. Because I think there's a way to do both. You know, there's a way to be responsible, um, socially responsible, environmentally responsible, and still make money. I don't think it's, uh, it should be separated. And I'm, I love the fact that maybe as millennials, we're moving towards that, you know, we're, we're more aware um, and heading in that direction. So it's, it's exciting. Yeah, Net, uh, Reed Hastings over at Netflix is is showing that it can't, I mean, he's dominating the movie business and his culture, and like, he doesn't, like, they don't have sick days, they don't have vacation days, it's kind of like, you know, you're a big boy and girl, like, do what you want. Wow. You don't got to show That's us. Amazing. But, you know, but when you treat people, you know, with respect, um, you know, they, they, they figure it out and they're dominating, you know, so. Wow. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely like it. I was going to ask, so, so, we'll get off business for a little bit and just get more into also just living in Africa. Cause you, we were talking, you know, when we visited um, in the year about just living in Africa in general. So as, as an American where quality of living is, is stressful if you don't make a yeah. decent amount of money in certain areas, <laughs> yeah. like you were talking about the benefit of being in America, living, living in Africa. Talk, talk more about that, man. And, and, and the differences and the benefits um it's amazing man i mean uh, there are some challenges but let me okay let me start with the the positives okay um the the way the the work day flows is different i think people spend more time with their families you come home earlier um they still especially in malawi still kind of use what we used to use in old times in the u.s as far as you know when the sun is up you're awake when the sun goes down it's time to be home. So things 
move a little slower here. So if you were a New Yorker, you definitely wouldn't survive in Malawi. But <laughs> I like that idea. You know, when the sun goes down, it's family time. You sit together, you have dinner. Um, on weekends, you're with your family, you're going to church, you're going to events. Um, on the holiday, you're with your family. You know, it's not, it's not like us in the U.S. where, oh, okay, it's a holiday, but let me go get some more hours so I can make more money, so I can, you know, um, they, they value money, but they also value family, camaraderie, <clears throat> um, and, and togetherness a lot more. Um, my observations are, okay, that, so more family time. I love the fact that, for instance, in our place, we have a garden in the back. So we have lettuce, we have tomatoes, we have carrots. You know, we're eating salad. Um, I think I have a, a mango tree back there, orange. So we're eating straight from our garden food. Um, we have fruit salad almost every day. We have salad, and, and it's just amazing for me. Um, prior to moving here, we were in New York City in Brooklyn, and my son was three at the time. And, um, you know, to go to the park would be, okay, I have finished working, picked him up from, the, you know, from school. Um, oh, man, it's six o'clock. But, okay, we only got 30 minutes at the park. Then we got to get home and, and bathe, eat, do all of this stuff. So our time, we were always looking at the time in New York. But here in Malawi, I mean, he's always outside. He's rarely, you know, watching TV. He's climbing trees. He's playing with the neighbors, kids. And that's, oh, another thing is, is I feel like um, hurting children here is a no-no. So I see kids as young as four walking by themselves and nobody would even think or dare to do anything to them. So it's, it's this communal type of living. They're not, my, they're not your kids, but if you see a kid walking and someone tries to mess with them, you intervene, you know? And I mean, I can, I've been here almost three years, two and a half years. And I haven't heard any stories of any child being abused or, or anything in, in, in the public light because um, children are free to move around um, without, without fear. So I like that idea. You know, um, when we lived in New York, my son was never more than two, three feet away from me, you know, when we're walking. So um, that's another positive aspect. Some of the negative aspects is if you're moving to Africa, you have to be prepared depending on where you are. They're, you know, it's, it, I, what do I always tell Americans? I say, just, just come, you know, there's a, a, a flavor for everybody. You know, I think there's different African countries to suit your taste. If you want something that's more similar to the West than what you have in America, go to South Africa, you know, go to Nigeria, go to, to certain places. Um, but if you want a different experience, come to Malawi, come to different places. And what I mean by that is, for instance, in Malawi, um, we, we have electricity, but we have power cuts on occasion, especially during um, the dry season, because during the rainy season, they use a hydroelectric uh, dam for electricity. So during the rainy season, of course, they have enough water to provide electricity for uh, most of the country. But in the dry season, when the water levels are low, they don't have as much water. So we have cuts for about six to seven hours a day, every day. Um, so there are some countries uh, where that's an issue. Luckily for us here, water is not an issue. We have running water. It's clean. 
the municipalities here do a great job. So we, you know, you can, you know, drink the water, no problem. In other countries, water treatment is a problem. So um, these are the kind of things you have to navigate. Oh, and the big one is uh, mosquitoes. You know, uh, malaria, um, Malawi has malaria. Uh, so, you know, you just have to be careful. So that that's also something uh, you have to be aware of, you know. So some people will take malaria medicine when they come. Um, for us that are here, most people don't. It's just a matter of just being, you know, cautious and careful. So um, mosquitoes normally come out at night. So in the evening time, you just, you know, spray your mosquito spray, put on a long sleeve and go about your business. And, um, and so those are some of the positive and negative aspects of, of living um, in Africa. But, but I, I mean, I tell everyone just, you have to come. It's, it's, I mean, you, you know, people talk about Wakanda from last year from um, um, Black Panther, but it really does exist. I mean, natural resources, uh, the people, um, the food, and the beauty. I mean, there's so many times, you know, I'll, I'm just, I drive maybe 20 minutes outside the city and I'm just like, man, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's so green, the trees, the fruits, you know, everything. Um, and that's the reason why, you know, uh, certain countries are, you know, propped up by African resources. I mean, all the resources, a majority of the world's resources are here. So there's a reason, you know, so let's not run away from Africa. Bring your ideas, bring your businesses, come to Africa, um, just like the Europeans are doing, just like China's doing. China's investing heavily in Africa. So there must be a reason for that. Well, yeah, mo most people just in the business community understands that, you know, Africa you know, is the, you know, last big frontier with tons of resources, tons of people. I think I'm a, I'm gonna mess this up, but I was listening or reading somewhere that in a hundred years or so, like, you know, the more people are going to be on Africa than any other um, continent, just based on like population, right? Cause a lot of the mm -hmm. developing countries have um, people having less babies, you know, so, mm -hmm. you know, so, Everybody, everybody's going there, and, and I think it would just make sense for uh, for us to be a part of the game too, right? And and it's just so crazy that, um, and we're and we're going in the right direction, but the the propaganda um, mm. that that was spewed about Africa from you know people here in America, which we know has an extremely racist history, um, yes. you know, and 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 so that that's one bigger reason why. I want to go on one one blessing from having a friend like you tell me about it, and you've been there because you started thinking, man, you know, you, I'm, you know, they got us worried about nothing, right? And it's nothing. It's all. I'm, I'm telling you. Opportunity. And and I mean, I I remember that from when we first moved to the U.S. I moved from Nigeria to Lubbock, Texas, and um, it was oh, quite man. a change, you know. And people saying, oh, did you did you guys live in trees? Did you you know did you swim across the ocean? And I and I mean I. In hindsight, I can't blame them because if, if all you see on TV is, you know, the savannah with the lion and then the other picture is save the children and kids with flies in their face, you, you don't get a real understanding that, you know, Africa has huge cities. It has, I mean, look at Lagos in Nigeria. It's the most populous black city, I think, in the world. I think it has 21 million people in just that city. So you can imagine, you know, um, it's a it's a metropolis, you know, but they don't show you that on TV. And I think 
now that we're in the internet age, everyone has a phone, you have YouTube, you can Google these places. And now I've been seeing, it seems like celebrities are really reconnecting with Ghana as well and going to Accra and, and, and those type of things. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited because after all these years of it not being cool to be African, you know, like you mentioned earlier, people are embracing that part of them, that blackness that, you know, we all came from Africa. So, you know, whether you're Caucasian, Asian, whatever, just come, you know, bring your business ideas, bring your capital, bring every, just come. And if, and as I said, you know, we, we all vacation in Mexico, we all vacation in, you know, Jamaica, we go to France, we go to England, just add, you know, Senegal to your list, add Ghana to your list, add Nigeria, add South Africa, just come, you know, even if it's, you know, one trip and the tickets are not that, that bad from New York or DC or Atlanta or even Houston or even Dallas, I'm sure, you know, just, just plan it like you would any other vacation and come and see for yourself. Cause you can look at the news all you want and they can, you know, scare you about this, Ebola, all of these things. But until you set foot here, what you really will see is that it's like anywhere else in the world. People are just trying to survive day to day and, I feel safer here than I do in New York City or DC or in Houston. You know, I mean, it's, it's right now almost nine o'clock at night and I, I could walk down the street and I feel safer here than I would in, in, in any US city. So that's a testament to, to the kind of people that are here. So don't believe everything you read in the news um, and that you see on the Discovery Channel. Yeah, no, you, 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 you're right. I'm going to move to my, 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 my research lightning round question. It's not really okay. lightning because you can answer it as slow as you want. But, um, <laughs> okay. What, if you can go back to 22-year-old IK and, and talk to him and just tell him, you know, whatever you want to tell him, go back in time. What, what would you tell yourself at, uh, at 22? At 22? So what year was that? 22 was 2000. Okay. I would tell myself to buy stock in Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> no, uh, I think <laughs> I would tell myself, um, man, that's a tough question because I don't think I would change anything, man, because everything has led to this point in my life. And if I was to tweak something then, you know, who knows? It could change. It could have ripple effects. So um, I think everything worked out the way it's supposed to, apart from those little tips, you know, like I would have told myself to, you know, probably save more money, don't waste money on certain things, on eating out and things like that. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I think that's, I would keep things the way they, they are because they, everything has, all the decisions have led me to this point you know, um, part owner of one company, owner of one uh, business, um, doctor degree, two children, you know, married in Africa. So um, I don't know. I don't think I would, I would tell myself anything. I wouldn't want to change the trajectory of my life back then. That's real. That's real. <laughs> what, what are, what are the top uh, three favorite brands that you own? That you have and it can be like business or personal but just these are the three brands that you find whenever you look at your 
bank statement, you're spending money with those brands and, and, and you're happy about it. Man, uh, that's a good question. You know, most of my bank statements now don't, <laughs> I don't buy anything in the U.S. so much, but um, when I'm there, I am buying. It, 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 don't, it don't gotta be here, it can be there, just, you know. Oh, there as well. Yeah. Um, man, that's tough. I try, I really, really try as much as I can to support black owned businesses. You know, um, and, you know, whether it's here, I like mom, and, I'll take it back, mom and pop shops. So whenever I'm in America or even here, I like to seek out restaurants that aren't chains. I like to buy things um, or even uh, something we like to do is to have things made here by artisans and by different people to support them. Whether it's a T-shirt, okay, hey, can you make a shirt that says this? Uh, whether it's... Uh, um, knives for for cooking anything we, we try to have it made or we try to support a mom and pop shop um brands i like i like um j crew in the u.s i like shopping at j crew that's my my guilty pleasure whenever i'm in the u.s you know i go there to the clarence rack or wherever and um and, and i order so online they have really i like the way their their clothing feels, you know, um, I think they use really good materials. So um, that's one. Um, and if, for cars, uh, Lexus. I don't know. Just everything about Lexus is just it's just it's excellence. You know, that's what it says to me when I see that L. So um, so yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess those are uh, <laughs> no, 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 those are good. You know, and it's funny as you were talking, I was like, I was like. Man, if 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 Anthony weren't a friend of mine and in my life, I probably would just be a a cold-hearted businessman. You're like my guardian angel, businessman. You're, you're so you're so deep and thoughtful. Keep me keep me, keep me grounded, man. Thanks. Uh, what what do you watch, read, listen to to get your news and education? Oh man, NPR all day, every day. I listen to NPR. I listen to. Uh, all kinds of podcasts um, on point. I listen to uh, NPR politics. Um, Diane Reams, amazing. Uh, TED Talks. I love TED Talks um, on different topics. Uh, and so, yeah, that's where I get a lot of my information. Um, I, you know, I watch CNN on YouTube here and there. Um, but I listen to a lot of podcasts because I'm, I'm usually driving and, you know, or moving around. So it's easier for me to listen uh, to the news than to actually to read it. Um, and as far as reading, um, I like to go on BBC's website uh, occasionally. I also like Yahoo News if it's just light reading just to see kind of what's going on um, in the U.S. Uh, as far as books... One I like to look at is, I think I mentioned this to you a few years ago. It's a little, I don't know, my California people would appreciate it, but it's uh, books um, with quotes from a philosopher called Ocho, O-S-H-O. So um, a lot of things he talks about is just kind of, you know, confidence in yourself um, and, and that you have divinity in you and you can achieve anything you want to achieve. So that's, that's kind of it. 
Okay. I'm pretty boring. I just like listening to <laughs> to the news. Oh, right. and I have to throw it out there too. I listen to like First Take and ESPN stuff as well. Jalen and Jacoby is one of my favorites. I, I have to listen to that every day. Um, so it's a podcast talking about sports, basketball, life. Jalen and, and Jacoby. I need to check that out. Jalen and Jacoby, man. Amazing. Amazing. And then what, and I, know, I know you got a good one for the next question. What do what you – what do you like to watch? Some good shows or movies for entertainment? Mm. You, you, man. You've always been a movie guy, man. So, side note. I know. Side note. Yeah. I'm still mad at you for making me watch Punch Drunk Love. That has to be like one of the <laughs> like, weirdest movies I've ever seen in my life. Like, I still remember. I don't even remember seeing it, man. But I, I know what you mean. I think, yeah, we went. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, but, but now my taste is. What I love watching is um I don't know if you've heard of the show The Prophet. I think it's on MSNBC. Uh huh. Yep. Marcus Marcus okay. Lamone. Marcus Lamone. Man, I love. I could watch that all day, every day. Cause, I mean, he's just giving gems, and it's free. It's amazing. So I love the um, The Prophet. I like watching Shark Tank, um, and also on Netflix. Since I'm into kind of the the um, furniture and interior design. As kind of like my, you know, my side hobby. Um, it's always kind of been there. I like watching Amazing, I think it's called Amazing Interior Design or Amazing Houses. Extraordinary Houses or something. It's on Netflix. Is it weird, so like weird houses? Is it the weird no, house? No, it's not weird. It's, they look at these houses that are architectural marvels um, in different parts of the world. And one of the, the, the people's an architect. And the other one, I think she might be an actress or a TV personality. And it's, it's an amazing show because um, I just like to see the process. I, I think ever since I was a kid, I was one of those kids that liked uh, role-playing games like RPGs because I like building something, you know, whether it's a business, whether it's a house. I like to see progress. So these shows, they'll show how things were built, how long it took, um, and then you just get to see kind of the finished product. So. I like those shows as well. And that's why also I think I like The Prophet because he invests his time, money, and energy. And then, you know, you see these businesses grow. And that's exciting to me. So I yeah. think I get that actually from my dad. You know, he had a, his, the business side. And, and he was always – the good thing about him when he was alive is that he always had us um, interact with his business partners. It wasn't like, oh, kids, go, go play. He would have us in the room, you know, as a kid, you're like, oh, this is boring, dad, why am I doing this? But, um, you know, he would have us in the room, so you would hear all these terminology um, and all these terms, and you'd get to interact with these businessmen in this, you know, environment. And it, it's, I mean, if I, so maybe that's something I would tell like nine or 10 year old me, sit up, pay attention and stop whining. And I, I mean, I'm sure I would have learned so much um, back then, if I was, you know, if I was stopped complaining. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember you telling me about your dad and his businesses uh, when, when we when we met. Um, yeah. Last question, and you already named one book. What are the top three books that you've read either recently or of all time? So really, you can just do two. You already did one. Um, man, it's you know it's tough because. After getting your doctor degree, you know how many articles and <laughs> books I've read on occupational therapy. So I haven't read on other fields as much, 
but there was a really cool class I took in graduate. I mean, in, uh, when I was getting my doctorate on leadership, um, it's a leadership class. So it's um, the, the lessons learned straight talk from the world's top business leaders doing business globally. So I still have, it's like this little, maybe 60 page book. Mm-hmm. And I occasionally will go in and they have little like two page uh, stories from CEOs um, around the world. So I'll just go in and read and just kind of take a gem from there. Um, the other one is uh, lessons learned, straight talk from the world's top business leaders of managing your career. So those type of things, I think, you know, I mean, I'll admit to sit and read a 500 page book is just, I don't know, I, I, it, it would be too tough for me in my lifestyle right now. So I like little two to three page mm-hmm. or um, short stories or just little motivational things and little gems like that. And I also watch, um, as I said, TED Talks, and I like to watch a lot of interviews um, or have it in the background, at least on, on YouTube. Um, so world leaders and, and business leaders, you know, just talking about, you know, um, different uh, obstacles they faced and how they got through it and things like that. Got it. Now make makes sense. Yeah. Have you, have you got on audible.com yet? I have not. I have, I keep hearing about it. I know. I have yeah, not. You, you, you would like it, man. It's I, I've been on it for five years and, and I still maybe like physically read, you know, I used to read like 10 to 20 books a year, but uh, I'll still read about five books a year, but I'll listen to about four books a month via audible.com. Cause like you said, you know, between podcasts and that, I mean, I really, I don't even, I consume minimal TV uh, or, you know, do Netflix every, you know, I'll binge out on that every couple of weeks, but, okay, uh, but yeah, you, you would like audible man a lot. Uh, no, but, everyone keeps. I should. I should look into that. You know, yeah. it's, it's 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 some great books, man. Matter of fact, you'll find yourself wanting to listen to a twenty-six hour good book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know. Do you? Are there any books you recommend right now from Audible? Any? Um, you know what, man? I don't. I don't know about you. I, I, I. I can only like read a book if it's something I'm trying to figure out. And so you'll, yes. you'll, appre- you'll appreciate this. We always both had a, uh, you know, a love for movies, you know, different types of movies, you know, but um, for, for, and, I, and I, I'm a, I'm a frame it up so you understand where I'm going. So whenever 80% of my portfolio, um, um, clients portfolios that are on the more sophisticated platform is low cost diversified mutual funds. But, um, you know, 100% of my portfolio and 20% of the client stock portfolio on that platform are individual stocks. Right. And, and I always preach on individual stocks. Um, the importance of sticking to what, you know, okay. Um, and so, and so since I've always been a salesperson and, and a great marketer and advertiser um, and, you know, and, and fell in love with creating media a few years ago, those are kind of the similar business that I stick to advertising media, you know, financial stocks. And so um, I've recently been digging into a bunch of different uh, uh, books around like media and advertising and, and the one that I'm reading now, which is really good, which I think you'll like. It's called The Big Picture, The Fight for the Future of Movies uh, by Ben Fritz. And it's like dope, man. It kind of breaks down like 
how it got started and then just the current trend where you know it went from movie theaters or you know the 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 the, the production houses universal sony having the power to the actors you know when you know when the will smith and brad pitt and all them used to have the power back to the theaters because now you know universes are what sell like the marvel universe and all that kind of stuff and and just how netflix kind of got in there and it, i mean it's it, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'm I'm just learning a lot about like the movie business. It's, it's super interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, I had that on my list of things yeah, I need it, to it, it, read. It, it, it <laughs> is. But yeah. But what was I going to say? Um, I think that's it, man. I, I'm I'm glad we had it. I can't wait for your podcast. The the <laughs> podcast. Artisans of Africa. <laughs> oh man, that's dope. There it is. <laughs> the Thank artisans you. of Africa. Artisans of Africa. Yeah, man, for real. You gotta start that because I would I would love to listen to and watch that. Okay, okay. We we've we've discussed it and uh yeah, it could be in the works, you know, because there there are artisans here and I love the idea of sharing these stories that, that otherwise might not be told or or heard by our the audience in the US. Um so yeah, I mean it's the stories here are just amazing, man. It's amazing. Once you once you launch it, we'll, we'll have you back on. <laughs> so. Okay, okay, cool. All right, appreciate you. No, man, thank you for having me. It's uh, it was amazing. <laughs>